Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week you'll be reading the book of Mark. We are consistently going through God's word week by week. You'll read the book of Mark. I hope you've got, gotten the notes. And you only have 16 chapters. That, you ought to be able to do that at lunch today. <laughs> Mark's name means Yahweh has shown grace. He's the, he's the son of Mary of Jerusalem, according to Acts 12, 12. He's also known as John Mark, who Peter calls in 1 Peter 5, 13, the son or the spiritual son of Peter. He was not an apostle, but he did accompany Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And he was with Peter when he wrote, when Peter wrote his letters, 1 and 2 Peter, Peter probably furnished a lot of the material that's found in Mark's gospel because Peter was there firsthand and told Mark a lot of these things. Now, Mark is writing, like Matthew wrote to the Jews, Mark is writing to non-Jews, especially to the Romans. That's why you don't see a lot of things about Jewish words and customs. Uh, Anytime that one of those is used, he explains it specifically. There are a lot of Latin references that are not explained because Romans would not need them to understand. They already understood. There's barely a mention of any Jewish law or prophecy, but the theme of Mark is Jesus Christ coming as the suffering servant to give his life for a people and obviously and ultimately to sacrifice his life for all of us. Several characteristics I'll briefly share with you. It's the shortest of the four gospels. He tells the story of Christ in order. It's in chronological order. Whereas the other writers of the gospels sometimes jump around and, and will indicate various things that are going on. And, and, but Mark quickly moves from baptism to the cross and the resurrection. There's only four paragraphs, not verses, but paragraphs that are distinctive to or unique to Mark alone. He emphasizes the works and deeds of Jesus, not necessarily the teachings of Jesus. He also, his style is rapid fire. It's vivid. It's picturesque. It's easy for the masses of people to understand. He reflects the personality of the impulsive Simon Peter. He he only has a few Old Testament references. He presents Christ as the conqueror and master of every situation. He gives attention to the looks of, and the gestures of Jesus. You're going to see one of those in a moment when we read out of Mark chapter 10. And he gives a personal touch of Jesus. Though it's the shortest of the gospels, it's the most graphic and realistic account of the, of the life and ministry of Jesus that we have. It shows us in a, in a living, personal way the Lord in detail. So you're going to see a lot more detail when it talks about what Jesus is doing. You'll be reading it this week. Today I want to focus on Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. Now as Jesus was going out on the road... 
One came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, those are the same. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, See, there's one of those spots. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Have you ever left home and had that feeling you left something? I would imagine every time you go on a trip, you're thinking, I know I forgot to do something. I know I left something. One man was talking about how, as a child, that they couldn't go anywhere on vacation without their, his mom, about, they'd just get started good, and his mom would say, honey, we gotta go back. I think I left the iron on. Now, that was the day when irons didn't cut off automatically, and she said, I don't want the house to burn down while we're away. So dad would turn around, they would go back, and sure enough, every time, the iron was off. (laughs) One day, they were going on a trip. Sure enough, about the time they're getting out of the city limits, she says, honey, we gotta go back. I think I left the iron on, and he didn't even slow down. He just reached down under the seat and pulled the iron out and gave it to her. (laughs) (laughs) He was prepared. You know, there's one item, speaking of forgetting things, there's one item in people's lives in society today that people must not forget. And that is your eternal life and where you're going to spend it. All three gospels tell us a little bit about this man. The three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all tell us he was rich. So he didn't lack for anything. He had the the comforts of life. Matthew tells us he was young. And Luke tells us he was a ruler. And it probably referred to the fact that he was an influential leader in the local synagogue. But from every outward appearance, this young, rich ruler had everything going for him. He was successful in life. If you looked at him, if if you had a daughter, this is the kind of young man you'd want your daughter to marry. 
I mean, he was a good guy. He looked like he was successful. And there were a lot of things that he did right, but he still failed. And so I want us to look for a moment. Let's first look at his approach and his awareness. Did you know it's possible to be right about a lot of things in life and still be wrong about what's the most important thing in life, and that is your eternal life and your relationship with God. You can have everything the world has to offer, but if you don't, aren't right with God, you have failed. You've lost everything. Now, let's look at what he did right. First of all, he came at the right time. The scriptures tell us he was young. He had his whole life ahead of him. Solomon would have been proud of him. Solomon as an old man in Ecclesiastes wrote, he wrote these words. And you remember Solomon had everything that the world had to offer and he, come, and he, and he kind of walked away from God. But at the end of his life, he came back and he said, he said these words, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. So he came to the Lord while he was young. And, and a lot of us can relate to that. We came to know Jesus when we were young. And even if you haven't come to him and you're already whatever you think you are, if you still think you're young or old or whatever, you, you still need to come to him. But this man came to him at the right time. And it says he came running to him. I mean, he ran up to Jesus right in the middle of the road, right in the middle of the way. He was so interested in this matter that Luke 18, 26 tells us that he didn't care who was around him. He addressed Jesus with a lot of people around him. He didn't care who heard him. He's right in the middle of the road. He kneels down in front of Jesus and he said, I want to know what it takes to have eternal life. He also had the right attitude. He wanted to be prepared. He knew he had something missing. He wanted eternal life. He was a good guy, he was a moral person, he was a wealthy person. He knew he wanted to be prepared. Isn't it amazing how Americans today, we pride ourselves in being prepared. We buy insurance for our homes, we buy insurance for our cars, we buy insurance for our bodies, health insurance, we buy insurance for when we die. We want to be prepared. You have things in your home that you have that you've never used. Or at least you don't, I hope you. How many of you have a fire extinguisher at home? Now, why do you have one? You haven't used it. But you're prepared. You're prepared for any burnt offerings that might be <laughs> brought in. But isn't it amazing that most people in the world are not prepared for the very most important events ever going to happen to them. Hebrews 9.27 says you already have an appointment with death. Now you're not going to get a text message or an email or a phone call reminding you of this appointment because you don't know when it is. But you're going to die unless the Lord returns. We know we're going to draw our last breath here on this earth but we're going to live with Jesus but, but isn't it amazing? People know death is coming. In fact, when can you stop ignoring eternity? When you stop dying. I read about an artist who came to the gallery owner 
And he said, has there been any interest in the paintings that I put in this gallery? And the gallery owner said, well, I've got some good news and bad news. The good news is that a gentleman inquired about your work, your paintings, and he asked me if I think these art, these value, these um, paintings would appreciate in value after you die. And I told him they would, so he bought all 15 of your paintings. And he said, that's awesome, but what's the bad news? And he said, the guy was your doctor. <laughs> You're going to die one day. This guy knew, hey, I, he had the right attitude. He also had the right, he came to the right person. He says he knelt before Jesus. That shows that he understood there was something special about Jesus. Jesus is the world's foremost authority on the question of eternal life. You do know that. He came from the eternal realm. And he came from the realm. John 3.13 says, No one is ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And he came for the express purpose of making it possible for us to leave this realm to go to the realm that he came from. John 3.16 says he came to give us eternal life with God. John 3.36 says, he who believes in the Son is everlasting life and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you remember, Simon Peter answered Jesus when, when Jesus was beginning to offend people with his teaching and people were leaving and he turned to the disciples and he said, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter, it's recorded in John 6.68, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He came to the right person. He came at the right time. He came with the right attitude. He came to the right person. He also asked the right question. What must I do to have eternal life? Most people are so wrapped up in themselves, they have no time for the thoughts of God or heaven or hell or where they're going to go when they die. We live during one of the most sophisticated and technologically advanced cultures the world has ever known and yet the majority of people in the world do not know how to have eternal life with God. Now let me make one thing clear. Everybody has eternal life. You're not ever going to die. So you've got eternal life. The point is you're going to have eternal life with God. Or you're going to have eternal life separated from God in hell. You're not going to be annihilated. You're not going to be disappearing. You'll live forever. Did you know once you were given life, you'll never cease to exist? But people don't know how to get to heaven. They're not aware. They're not aware of eternal things. Have you ever noticed how Dumb people are. (laughs) 
I want to read you some actual responses on comment cards given to staff members in a wilderness recreation area. Now, y'all know what a national park where people go to hike and things like that. These are true. I'm not making it. You can't make this up. Actual responses. Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoiding building trails that go uphill. <laughs> Too many bugs, spiders, and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness area to get rid of these. Please pave the trails. Chairlifts need to be in some places so we can get to those wonderful views without having to hike to them. Here's a good one. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. Here's, how about this one? A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there any way I can get reimbursed? <laughs> Escalators would be helpful on steep uphill sections. This is my favorite one. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. <laughs> Too many rocks in the mountains. These people are not aware of what a wilderness area is. A lot of people are not aware of eternity around them. A lot of people say they want to follow Jesus but they don't understand what that involves. The rich young ruler knew there was something missing. Many of you may be aware that something's missing in your life. If you're watching us on television, you're watching us online, you may have everything the world has to offer, but there's still something missing. I re it's interesting to hear the lyrics of some of the famous singers on the radio, not Christian radio, but the other secular radio. John Mayer, for example, wrote a song, Something's Missing. Talked about everything he had to have on this earth, but still something was missing. I hope that John Mayer finds Jesus. Now, he did a lot of things right, but now he did some things wrong. So let's look at his misperception and misunderstanding, beginning about verse 18. And while he was concerned about having eternal life and coming to Jesus, he was sadly mistaken in at least three ways. First of all, he thought Jesus was just a good man. He came and he said, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now folks, good teacher is an accurate description of Jesus because Jesus is good and he was a teacher, but you need to understand the word for good here is only a word ascribed to God. It's never used to describe a man this particular word good. And so he's coming using the word for God, good teacher. And, he, and he's basically, that's why Jesus turns and says, why are you calling me good? Because there's only one good, that's God. So, are, and so basically what he's saying, Jesus is saying, are you calling me God? Because if I'm not God, then I don't have the words of eternal life. But if I am good, God, then I do have the words of eternal life. And the point is this, that Jesus told the man how to receive eternal life. He's claiming to be God. 
There are all kinds of people in this world who will admit to part of the truth about Jesus. He was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a, a, a moral man. He was a, histo- a, a historical figure. But until you realize and admit and profess that Jesus is God, you can't be saved. Now, he knew something was special about Jesus because he thought Jesus was God-like. And that's why Jesus confronted, and that's why Jesus pulled him out and said, are you calling me God? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what people think about Jesus today? Some people just use his name as a, an exclamation point. Some people think, well, there's a, there was a Jesus. Uh, I, I'm always um, not amused but aggravated at the documentaries about Jesus on secular television that all, never do ever come out and say Jesus is God. They'll say, well, he was a great man and there were a lot of people that followed him and it's evident that he was crucified. They don't ever admit that he was resurrected, but they would never come close to admitting that Jesus is God. Have you ever thought about what kind of trouble Jesus would be in if he was here today in this enlightened society? (laughs) The FDA would want him for turning water into wine without a license. The EPA would want him for killing fig trees. The AMA would want him for practicing medicine without a license. The Department of Health would want him for asking people to open graves and for raising the dead and for feeding 5,000 people in the wilderness. The NEA would want him for teaching without a certificate. OSHA, they'd want him for walking on the water without a life jacket and for flying without an airplane. PETA would want him for driving hogs into the sea. National Board of Psychiatrists for giving advice how to live a guilt-free life. The NOW for not choosing a woman as an apostle. The Abortion Rights League for saying that whoever harms children is better that they had never been born. The Interfaith Movement for condemning all other religions. And the Zoning Department for building mansions without a permit. John said well, first John 4:15 whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God God abides in him and he in God before anyone can be saved you've got to come to the place that you understand that Jesus is God Amen. we don't believe in three gods we're not polytheistic we're monotheistic God the Father Son and Holy Spirit the triune God scripture bears it out clearly John MacArthur tells about the time he shared the gospel with a young actor from India and at the close of their conversation, the young man bowed his head and received Jesus into his heart and then when he finished, he looked at Dr. MacArthur and he said, isn't this wonderful? Now I have Mohammed and Jesus. No, that's not the way it works. It's not Jesus and anything. It's Jesus Alone. In fact, it seems like we sang a song pretty recently that said, In Christ Alone. Didn't we just sing that? I was just making sure you remembered. The man was also unaware of his own sin. You, it, it's interesting the way Jesus responded to him. Every Jew knew the Ten Commandments. They had them by memory. In fact, they knew the Ten Commandments as well as you and I can count from one to ten. 
And the Ten Commandments can be broken down into two sections. The first four deal with our relationship with God. No other gods, no idols, don't take God's name in vain, remember the Sabbath day. But then the last six deal with our relationship with other people. And you see them there in verse 19. Do not, they're not in order, by the way. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. But there's only five of them listed there. Now, do not uh, bear false witness and do not defraud. Those are synonymous. But he left out one. Do you know which one he left out? Do not covet. Now, what was this young man's problem? You see, he told Jesus, he made an astounding claim. I've kept all those since I was a child. <laughs> well, maybe you haven't physically murdered somebody. Of course, you know, Jesus reiterated all the Ten Commandments except remember the Sabbath day. He reiterated those and took them a step further, talking about if you hate your brother without a cause and if you look at a woman and you lust after her and, and so forth. But he didn't list do not covet. And I think he intentionally omitted that one because he was going to make a point because he comes and he says, but there's one thing you still lack. Go get rid of all your stuff and come and follow me. See, this man was unaware of his own sin. He thought everything was perfect. He was a good moral person. He was a religious person. He, he, he was a wealthy person. And let me tell you something. In that day, Jewish people, including the disciples, thought if you were wealthy that God had blessed you. So it was a sign that you had special blessings from God. So they looked at wealthy people as God's having his hand on them in a lot of respects. That's why they were astonished, and I'll get to it in just a second. But you see, the young man had already had a God in his life, a little G God. It was gold, and his creed was greed. There's only room for God on the throne of your life, nothing else. But this man was unaware of his own sin until Jesus drew him out. He was also thinking that eternal life is through good works. Matthew records in Matthew 19, 16, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? What good things should I do that I may have eternal life? See, he thought he could earn it. He was looking for the do religion, the, or, the works-oriented religion. He wanted to get his salvation like he got everything else. He wanted to earn it. But Jesus said, if you want to enter into life, you can't earn it. You do realize you cannot earn it. There are a lot of people who think they can. Why do, you, why do you think people show up on Easter and never any other time or Christmas? I guess they just want to make sure that just in case it's real, they're covered, they think. All of us would fall short in our trying to earn it. Do you remember a commercial on television? It was several years ago. It's a Visa commercial, and you can look it up on YouTube if you want to see it. 
I'm not advocating you do it, but it shows a man in a tattoo parlor sitting in a chair and the tattoo artist is working on his arm. And sitting right next to him is his girlfriend, Donna. It begins by putting the camera on Donna's face and her big eyes. He's saying, are you sure you want to do this? And it shows him, yes, I want everybody to know who my girlfriend is and who I love. While that guy's working on a tattoo, the man getting the tattoo said, how much is this? He said, $50. The man reaches in his pocket. He pulls, he said, oh, well, look at this. I only have $41. Well, the next scene shows Donna storming out of that tattoo parlor. And the man's running behind him and he's going, Donna, Donna, I'll get it fixed. I'll get it fixed. And then it shows his arm and it says, I love Don. (laughs) You see, he didn't have quite enough to get that finished. Well, that's the way it is with earning your salvation. About the time you think, well, at least I'm, I'm, I'm part of the way there. I'm a pretty good person. You don't even come close. Many of you are old enough to remember the epidemic of polio. And Dr. John Schultz came up with a serum that prevented people from getting polio and they put it on a sugar cube and you took that sugar cube because you didn't want to get polio. Can you imagine if they offered that to you and you say, you know, really, I think I'll wait on another option. I don't really like sugar cubes or I don't, I don't want, I'm going to wait till something else is possible. That'd be crazy. Suppose I offered you a brand new home, fully furnished. And I said, but there's one catch. The only way you can get in that home is to use a key. Here's the key. It's the only way you can get in the key. You say, well, I don't want it then. I don't want to use that key. I want to use another key. Well, whenever you think you can earn eternal life, that's what you're saying. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I want you to notice a couple of reactions here right quick. In verses 21 and 22, you see his reaction and response, but really and truly, there's two of them, and so I want to call your attention to both of them. Let's first look at the master's compassion and his commandment. Notice in verse 21, it says, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Did you know Jesus loves sinners? Aren't you glad? That means he loves you and me. He loves us. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus said in John 6, 37, I will not turn away anybody that the Father brings to me. He loves you no matter what you've done. If you're watching us online or television, it doesn't matter how bad you think you've been, God still loves you. He loves you. His compassion toward you. He had compassion to this young man. But then Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter and he says, you still lack one thing. Sell 
all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. So what was he saying? A rich is bad. No, he didn't say that. In fact, he changes it. If you'll note, well, I'll get to it in just a second. But he, he, he didn't say riches are bad. He just knows that this man's riches are on the throne of his life. He's saying you need to get whatever it is keeping you from really, truly denying everything and committing your entire life to me. You need to get rid of it. Now, I don't think he literally meant go give it all away. He was saying, he went to the heart of the matter. He said, I know your heart. You want eternal life, but you're still too attached to this life. He calls this man to totally committing his life. Turn your back on everything but me. Now, does that, allow, does that mean God will still allow you to have stuff? Probably, but what if God wanted all your stuff? Would you give it to him? I don't think he's going to ask you today for all of it. But you ought to be willing to say, Lord, I've given you everything in my life. It's all yours. I'm going to leave every bit of it behind. The words, take up your cross and follow me, the tense of the verbs mean it was a once and for all thing. Then once and for all, come and follow me. Come commit your life to me once and for all. Now notice the man's remorse instead of repentance in verse 22. It says, when he heard this, he was sad, which means to be under a cloud, and he was sorrowful, which means to be thrown into sorrowful. He was brokenhearted. He was really brokenhearted about it, but he still rejected Jesus. Folks, you can be sorry for your sin. You can have remorse, but unless you turn from it and come to the Lord, nothing changes. Many people think that the word sorrowful would never be associated with rich, young ruler. And yet, you've got a man here who's sorrowful because he can't let go or he won't let go. I read of an account of a, a, a I don't know if it was in a museum, I don't think it was, but someplace where there was a beautiful Chinese vase or vase, depending on how you say it. I guess the higher it is, the more vase it becomes. <laughs> we just have vases at our house. <laughs> we don't have any vases. But the problem was, a little boy was screaming because he had his hands stuck in one of them. And they tried and tried and tried. They soaked it. They did everything they could. They could not get that child's hand out of that vase, that really expensive Chinese vase. Finally, they had to break it. And when they did, the shards went everywhere, and there was that little boy who had his fist in there. And when they opened up his hand, there was a penny in it that he had seen at the bottom of that vase, and he would not let go of it. If he'd have let go of it, it could have slid his hand out. How many people are going to step into eternity with their fists closed? They just can't let go of it. 62-year-old man by the name of William Hyatt was found in the Mojave Desert, his face and his hands buried in the sand, seeking water. His car had broken down. He had walked 22 miles through the desert 
The last two miles, he crawled on his hands and feet and he died in the sand. Just over the hill, a half mile, was the Saratoga Spring that could have saved his life. He almost made it. Now, this man almost made it. You know, there's a lot of almost in the Bible. Some of the people that Paul preached to almost came to believe. Some of you are almost there. You feel sorry for your sin. You recognize you separated from God, but not enough to turn from it, to let go of it and say, Lord, I give you all my life. Now, I want you to notice something else. The Lord's exclamation and explanation. In verse 23, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished. Why were they astonished? Well, rich people have been blessed by God. And if they can't make it, and then Jesus reiterated, he said, now listen to how he changed it. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. And then Jesus pulls some Jewish humor you don't believe Jesus had a sense of humor? Now, our Jewish humor is, is based on the impossible, ridiculous images. It's, a, it's an exaggeration. And it's humor to teach a point here. Jesus is saying, well, it's easier for a camel, the largest animal in Israel at the time, to go through the smallest opening man-made, the eye of a needle, than it is for Somebody who holds on to riches and trusts in riches to go to heaven. I think Jesus was partial to camel jokes. <laughs> and the reason, listen, in Matthew 23, he used a pun to describe the Pharisees. He said, you guys strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, the Aramaic word for gnat is galma, G-A-L-M-A, and galmas, G-A-L-M-A-S, is the word for camel. Gamla. Nat is galma, camel is gamla, and they sound alike. So Jesus basically said, you strain out the gamlas, but swallow the gamlas. A lot of people said, well, and I even, I remember a Jewish guide telling us, you know, it, well, that eye of the needle probably meant a small opening in a building that they made to keep intruders from riding horses into the building and a camel could get down on his knees and barely squeeze through. And that's not what he's talking about because the New Testament scholars will tell you that the needle in Matthew and Mark is raphis and while Luke, it's balone and they both refer to needles and sewing. So he's talking about a needle. And he's using Jewish humor and he's saying, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is impossible, than it is for anyone trusting in anything but Jesus to get to heaven. And he uses the riches here. And that's why he goes, and, then, and that's why they said, well, Lord, in verse 26, who then can be saved? If this man's been blessed by God, can't make it, who can be saved? And that's when he says, with men, salvation is impossible. Only through God is it possible. In April of 1988, a cameraman was hired to video a group of skydivers. 
They were friends. They all leaped out of the plane, began to prolong free fall. The photographer got some exciting footage of each participant as they did somersaults and body surfed and formed stars and other formations. Each did his or her signature move, then pulled the ripcord and went out of the camera view. The last segment of the film is one of total chaos because the cameraman made the horrifying discovery that in all his efforts to help others have a great experience and get all of his equipment, he had forgotten to put on his parachute. And he didn't know until he reached for his ripcord his fatal mistake. His jump was eventful and it was exhilarating for a few fleeting moments. And then he realized how many people are going through this life thinking I'm grabbing all that I can and everything's just great. And for those people, this is as good as it's ever going to be in eternity without ever realizing they're stepping into eternity unprepared because they won't let go of anything on this earth. A little boy got saved in a revival And the next week at school, his friends were asking him about the experience. They said, did you see a vision or did you hear God speak? And he said, no. And they said, well, how did you know that you needed to be saved? The little boy searched for an answer and here's what he said. It's like when you catch a fish. You can't see the fish. You can't hear the fish. You just feel him tugging on the line. I felt God tugging at my heart. Some of you today may feel God tugging at your heart. Would you join me in prayer? Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I pray today that that you're tugging at the hearts of people if they're watching us online, if they're watching us on television, if they're in this room and they know without a doubt, they just have this urgency about them. They feel you tugging at their heart. I pray they would turn to you and give their life to you. Many of us can remember, Lord, when we gave our life to you, there may be some who have never done that. We pray that today would be the day. Lord, we pray for those that need a church. We pray for those that need to be baptized, to be obedient to the Lord, to be part of a church family, to be be unashamed, to proclaim publicly their belief in Jesus. Thank you for a wonderful fellowship of believers. If you're watching us online, You hit that connect button and somebody will help you. Or any of you within the sound of my voice, whether you're online or in the room or on television, you type the words living hope, one solid line, no space, living hope to the number 474747. Give us the information that's requested. Let us know the commitment you're making. We will call you on the telephone. We're not high pressure people. We'll call you. We'll talk to you. 
There'll be pastors up here at the front after we're dismissed that can pray with you and help you. Even if there's something else on your heart today, you just need prayer. They're willing to do that. So Lord, we, we lift up those today who need you in their life. Please make them aware of their need for eternal life. I pray you'll bring people to you, Lord. Thank you for those that you keep bringing to the fellowship of our church. Thank you for those that were baptized. We just pray you'll bring people to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.